Hi, this is Jillian Walker, and you're listening to week seven of the Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker this week was Wade Morris. You got a Bible in the room? First, First Corinthians 9. Let's go there. First Corinthians 9. We'll start in verse 19 here in just a second. First Corinthians 9. We'll start in verse 19. Let me just say uh, welcome to those not only watching online on the live stream, but also the many of you that came uh, as guests coming to see your students. I know Wednesday night we always have more people. We welcome you and we thank you for honoring us with your presence. 1 Corinthians 9, we'll start in verse 19. As you're kind of getting settled in there, it's interesting because I always have conversations uh, with my daughters that really intrigue me, and it always goes down the same way. I remember we were leaving uh, Sunday school one day. We had just gone to church, normal family, been to Sunday school, and we got in the car, and a conversation went on between my two daughters that intrigued me, but it also made me go, well, maybe that's true. Here they were, very young, I think Eden was nine, Trinity was probably five, and all of a sudden, Eden asked Trinity the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she looked at her and she goes, a Christian? And I thought that was the sweetest thing ever, and she goes, well, do you know what it means to be a Christian? You can imagine a five-year-old looked at her and goes, well, I don't know, and she goes, but do you have sin in your life? She goes, well, I'm not sure, what is sin? And my nine-year-old looked at her and she went through the whole thing and she just goes, well, Take, for example, if I had a toy, and you wanted that toy, and you came into my room and you took it, that's called stealing. The Bible says that means you've sinned, and sin separates you from God, and in the end, you need God to forgive you of that sin so you can have a relationship with Him. Understand, when I heard that, I thought, that's about the best explanation I've ever heard in my entire life. The problem was, all the five-year-old could hear was, she looked at her and goes, but I didn't take any of your toys. She goes, I'm saying as an illustration, if you did take my toy, it's stealing. Stealing is sin. Sin separates you from God, and ultimately you need God to change you. She goes, I just told you I didn't steal any of your toys. She goes, but I'm just saying as an example, if you did, and all of a sudden the five-year-old screamed at the top of her lungs, but I didn't take any of your toys. And I looked in the rearview mirror, and my nine-year-old looks at me and goes, do you see what I have to deal with all the time? And I thought, welcome to my life, right? It's interesting, because Paul had to deal with a lot of things when he wrote letters to churches. It was Paul that made the statement, all things are permissible for me, but not all things are right for me. All things are available for me, but not all things are good for me. The problem was the Corinthian church decided to take that so far to the nth degree, they said, you know what, Paul, you were right. I'm saved, I'm forgiven, therefore in the end, God's going to forgive me no matter what, and if that's true, I can live however I want, say whatever I want, act however I want, and in the end, it's going to be okay. And Paul wrote a really long letter called First and Second Corinthians to say this, that's not how this works. It's interesting because when Paul tries to get people's attention, he's not like us. He never, never looks at somebody and says, you're a horrible person, you're doing it wrong. Paul was always very quick to say, just look at how I do this and watch what I do. And in the end, maybe you'll catch on that I'm doing what God wants me to do. And if you just follow that example, maybe everything will fall into place. And so when I saw that, I thought, well, man, maybe... Maybe there's a way to understand all that. In other words, Paul had to answer them to try to tell them what it meant 
to truly live the Christian life and to be who God wants them to be. And after we saw so many people give their lives to Jesus last night, I thought maybe this could be a great place for us to be. So if you've got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, he says it like this, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself I am not under the law, as to and so I can come to those and win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so I can win those who are not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, so I could win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it a slave so that after all has been preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified from the prize. It's interesting. Because when I started to see this, I thought Paul's doing the best he can to grab onto the church, to give them a passion, to live the way they need to live. And the same thing is true happening today. Pastors and youth pastors are doing everything they can to get the church, not only to act like the church, but to live like the church. Because in the end, when we do that, the world may not believe what we believe, but they will at least respect what we say we believe. When I started to see that, I thought, maybe that's the answer. I mean, because what would happen? I mean, if we left this place tonight, and I don't mean this week, but I mean tonight, if we walked out these doors and said, God, we are truly ready to be who you've called us to be. I mean, we are ready to go out there and to live the way you've called us to live, and we want to have a passion to do it, not for a year, not for a couple of months, but for the rest of our entire lives, then what in the world does that look like? And Paul says it in a few different ways. So if you're taking notes, write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just think about it like this. He says, if you truly want to look like Christ and live like Christ, he says, number one, you've got to live a life of conviction. You've got to live a life of conviction. And that's what he's saying in the very first verse there in verse 19. Though I am free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. In other words, Paul's saying this, I'm free. I can do whatever I want. I can choose whatever job I want. I could try to be rich if I want. I can make an oath of poverty if I wanted. I could choose to hang out with these friends. I could choose to hang out with these friends. In the end, he's saying, there's a lot of things that I can choose and that I can do. He goes, but if you really want to know what I'm convicted about and you really want to know what I'm passionate about, here's what he says. I just want to tell as many people about Jesus as I possibly can. In other words, he's saying, at some point, students, and for that matter, adults, we got to live a life of conviction, man. I mean, I go to churches, and it's interesting because when I go to students, what you call big church, Pastors will talk to me before I get on stage, and the conversation usually goes about the same. They love their people, they love their church, but here's pretty much what I will hear. Hey, Wade, we've got a thousand people here, and God's moving in a great way, and God's doing some really good things, but Wade, can I tell you something? 
We've got these six families in the church that have really connected with the gospel, and they are doing things in the church that I have never seen any other families do. You see, let me tell you what I just heard that pastor say. You're going to preach to a thousand people, but six families are living a life of conviction. That's it. Same thing happens when I go to youth groups. Hey, Wade, we got 200 kids in the youth group. It's going to be great. But when you come here, here's what I want you to know. We've got these four junior girls. Man, they are locked in, and they are living it like you've never seen students live it. You know what the guy just said? Got 200 students, but four of them are living a life of conviction. Students, at some point, we've got to live a life of conviction, passion. But you've got to know what it's all about. I say it to you like this. My mother-in-law died six years ago, and it ripped my heart out, man. I mean, at four years old, my father left from four to 17. I had a bunch of stepfathers, let's just say that. At 17, my mom looked at me and just said, I'm gone. And I've been a mom ever since. My mother-in-law was the first lady, mother figure, that loved me, man. And she comes home from a doctor's appointment one day and says, I'll be dead in two months. I didn't even know how to process that. I mean, I started saying weird things like, hey, 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 listen, you've done so much for me. Um, is there ever a trip you wanted to go on? Because I'll send you on that trip. She was like, no, I, I think I've been pretty much everywhere I want to go. And I remember asking her this question. I said, do you have any regrets in life? And this is what she said to me. She goes, wait, I don't have any regrets but I've made a list. I go, what does that mean? She goes, Wade, you know how you go through life? She goes, let's just say it when you're in the youth group. You're at school one day and you just know you need to share Christ with your friend, but for whatever reason, you just kind of don't do it. I go, yeah, that happens to most of us. She goes, you know how you get a little bit older, you go on some family reunion and you hear your cousins speaking the way they shouldn't be speaking, and you know they need Jesus, and you know you're the one that should share, but you kind of just don't do it. I go, yeah. She goes, you get a little bit older, Wade, and you're either a boss that has employees, or it's a reverse around, and you know you need to say something to your boss, but you just kind of talk yourself out of it, and I go, yeah, we've all dealt with that, and she looks at me and says this, Wade, I'll be dead in two months, and I've made a list of every single person I missed the opportunity to share Jesus with. And before I die, I'm going to share Jesus with every single one of them. Students, that's conviction. I told you last night, my daughter Eden got saved when she was 10. When you ask Christ to change you, just like the 120 of you last night, you ask Christ to change you, instantly you go from death to life. But you're not a great evangelist that fast. I still remember... Two days after Eden had received the Lord, we were on our knees as a family, and we're praying, and Mama prayed, and I prayed, and Eden was next to me at 10, next to her six-year-old sister, and she, she started to pray, and it started off so awesome. She goes, God, thank you so much for saving my soul. God, thank you for forgiving me for all my sins. God, I'm so happy I get to be with you in heaven forever. And then she says this, and God... I pray that you would save my little sister Trinity so she will not go to hell forever. Now listen, have you ever been in a prayer moment where somebody says something awkward and you know you're not supposed to open your eyes, but you do just for a second to see what's going on? Dude, I opened my eyes and Trinity was fired up, man. 
She looked and goes, what did you just say? She gets up and runs out of the room, and I go after her, and I go, Trinity, what's wrong? She goes, Dad, she doesn't think I'm a Christian. I said, honey, you're not a Christian yet. Relax. And she goes, but Dad, she thinks I'm going to hell. I go, well, technically you are. No, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But I'm not kidding when I say this to you. I had to sit down with my 10-year-old daughter, and I said, you've got to stop telling your sister she's going to hell. You can't tell your sister every day she's going to hell. And she looked at me as a 10-year-old with tears in her eyes, and she said this, Dad, I'll stop saying that to her. But I want her to go to heaven so bad. Students, that's conviction. You don't have to be dying in two months or just be saved for two days to have a conviction to share Jesus with people, man. He says, there's got to be that point if we're going to see revival. We've got to live a life of conviction. But then he goes further in the passage and says, if you get that far, then you've got to choose to live a life of connection. That's the four verses where he goes into it. To the weak, I became weak. To the Jew, I became Jew. To those under the law, I became as though I was under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Here's the problem. Right there, most students go, you see, Wade, sometimes you have to sin in order to reach sinners. Um, that's not what it's saying one bit. Not even close. Because if you look at the progression of the verse, here's what he is saying. To those not having the law, I became as though I was not having the law. To those without the law, I became as though I was without the law. In other words, he's saying this. I'm doing everything I can to understand every element of every person. Why? Because I want him to hear the message that I'm going to tell him. It's interesting because I was helping Brian do the breakout group today on evangelism. And the idea of what he's saying is, not only do you have to open up a conversation, but you've got to get to the point to where you truly have a passion for them to hear what you're saying. And I remember thinking it when he was talking about it in that, that, that breakout group. Students, here's the deal. I believe with all my heart that we in Christ have the greatest message in the world. But here's what I figured out as an evangelist. If they aren't listening to our message, our message actually doesn't matter. We have got to figure out a way to understand who they are, to do what they're doing so that we can get to the place, not just sinning, but to understand them so that they're going to hear us. I'll put it to you like this. Years ago, I used to go to Wilmington, North Carolina, and I did this college thing called Overflow. And I remember going there for three years. I started off just preaching in the church, and they said, hey, we lost our college guy. You want to come up on a Tuesday night? I said, yeah, it went great. How about next Tuesday? Hey, great. And then for three years, I went up. We were a mile from the University of Wilmington, North Carolina. A mile. There were 200 college students. I finally just said, hey, man, the thing's called Overflow. And I... Here's what I figured out a long time ago. College students and junior high students are, are like the exact same person. They're, they're just dumb enough to do exactly what you tell them to do. And when I say that, I mean that in a good way. They're both at a vulnerable place in their life, and they're ready. And I looked at these college students and said, let's overflow into the big room. Let's do this. And within five weeks, we're running 1,000 college students. Not because I was preaching good. They took the challenge, and we saw things happening. Here's the deal. If you ever came with me up there, 
all those college students, sir, I tell you why I'm saying that. Because we are two miles from the greatest surf beach on the East Coast. It's what they're passionate about. It's what they talk about. Forever they liked me. They're like, oh, we love Wade. He tells funny stories. We love Wade. He goes and eats dollar tacos with us when it's over. We love Wade. All of a sudden, I just thought, I'm just so sick and tired of hearing about surfing. Can somebody teach me how to surf? This one guy comes up and goes, hey, you come and surf with me next week. I promise I'm an instructor. I'm gonna, before we're done, you're going to catch a wave. Dude, I was six hours into this surf lesson, and he looked at me and goes, dude, you might not catch a wave. He's like, you're just no good. But I still remember the moment that I surfed for the first time. Listen, I know that we're in the middle of Oklahoma, which means we're in the middle of the country. <laughs> There's not a whole bunch of water around to surf on here. But here's the deal. Those of you, the few of you who've done this before, here's it. Well, I wish I could explain to you what it's like to surf for the first time. I actually don't know how to explain it to you. I just remember the dude saying, stop trying to stand up. Let the water pull you up. The ocean's going to pull you up. Bottom line is, I remember surfing was great. I got up that night in front of a thousand college students and I said this, I am now a surfer. See, that's a quick laugh for you, but I'm going to tell you this and I want you to let it sink in a second. I said that and got a five-minute standing ovation to the point to where I thought it was a joke. I was like, no, 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 sit down. Dude, what are you doing? Sit down. Dude. And then I noticed something. For the next maybe six months, more of those college students came than ever before. More of them invited their friends than ever before. More of them were engaged in worship than ever before. And here's the deal. It wasn't because I was preaching better. It's because I cared about what they care about. Just so you know, I've never surfed again. But I only had to try it once to understand what they meant. And here's what he's saying. There has to be that point where we just blindly and arrogantly just don't say a message. We do what we can to get the message across so that they listen. Conviction leads to connection. Which means number three, if you're taking notes, then you need to be careful how you live. Because when you get that far, students, people are watching. If you have your Bibles open, look at this. If not, let me read this to you. But at the end of chapter 8, he's preceding his mind thought into chapter 9. And he says two verses at the end of that that are interesting. Verse 9 in chapter 8, he says this. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now just watch me for a second. Do you remember where we started off? All things are permissible for me, but not all things are right for me. Here's what he's saying. Um, when you're in the middle of that permissible stuff, be careful what you're doing. You don't want to cause them to stumble. Fall. Then he goes further. In the last verse, verse 13, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to stumble and fall, I will never eat meat again as long as I live so that I will not cause him to fall. Here's the mindset, students. Paul is trying to reach people for Christ that don't eat meat right here. Let's go further. They don't eat unclean meat. That's a problem in Alabama. We call that barbecue. That's called bacon, man. And I want you to watch what Paul's saying. Watch this. Paul's saying this. It's not sin if I eat meat. God's not mad at me if I eat meat. Matter of fact, God's totally fine with me if I eat meat. But he says this, but if they are not going to listen to my message, if I do eat meat, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. Hey, students, in that one statement, here's what Paul is saying. 
Our calling should always supersede our comfort. Our calling should always be bigger than our comfort. It's not about can you do it, it's about do you need to do it. And in the process, if we think like that more, I think some things are going to happen. Let me put it to you like this. I'll say it to you in two ways so we can have a little bit of fun. I remember when I first started ministry, first started traveling ministry, I remember being with a group like this, but we've been together four days, and so we were trusting each other. I knew a lot of their names, they knew me, it was fine, and I had this idea that maybe this was going to work, and I had this illustration, and I was like, man, this is going to be awesome. Anytime you say that as a speaker, it's never going to work. And I came out, on, I had this like table, I was ready, and I had this like bag, and I pulled out a tall boy Budweiser and put it right there. I was going to use it as an illustration. The problem was I got so into my sermon, I completely forgot about it. I'm 15 minutes into it. I'm like, woo, woo, woo. It's like Todd. Todd's looking at me like, what are you doing, bro? Listen to me. All of a sudden, just like I would have done, everybody I'm speaking to is like doing this right here. They're talking to each other. And I finally go, what's up? And you know there's always that one 12-year-old kid in the room? You got a beer up there. <laughs> now, when he said that, I actually had forgotten. I'm being serious. I turned around and I went, no way. I was so far past that illustration, I didn't know what to do. And I was sitting there thinking, how in the world am I going to make this work? And I remember stopping and I looked at these 500 students and I said this. Hey, listen. I was going to do this illustration, and I'm past it, but let me ask y'all a question. I go, how many of you are under the assumption, even though I hadn't preached on it, you're under the assumption that I don't drink? And they were like, oh, of course. And I go, okay, okay. So you knew that was just a prop. It's just an illustration, right? They were like, absolutely, we knew that. You're the preacher, we get it. I go, so you knew... I wasn't going to drink it, right? They were like, absolutely we knew that. And I go, well, that's interesting. Can I ask y'all a question? Is there anybody in the room that can tell me what I've been preaching on for the last 15 minutes? And not one person could tell me. And finally I said, can I make it easy for y'all? Is there anybody that can tell me the verses of scripture I read 15 minutes ago? And not one person could tell me. And students, it was in that moment that here's what I figured out. Watch this now. It's really hard at your age, or really at any age, to have a Bible in one hand, a beer in the other, and people see the Bible. They focus on this. Now listen, when you turn 21, we can have a whole other sermon conversation about this stuff. Until you get there, here's the deal. It's against the law, it is sin, it is wrong, and when you go down that road, you are confusing what the world thinks. The life that you and I live and the words that you and I say out there, students, here's the deal. We are either leading people toward Christ or away from him. There is no in-between. And Paul says this, be careful how you live, man. Because, students, here's the deal. In the end, all that matters is Jesus. You understand that, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I know that some of you are concerned about a lot of things that I'm okay if you're concerned with. You're concerned about people liking you. 
You're concerned about popularity. You're concerned about, am I going to get a scholarship to college? I know you can work. When you get an adult, it's the same thing. Can I actually pay for my kid's college? I'm concerned about that. But here's the deal. After all is said and done, and all the worries that we have, students, here's the deal. In the end, all that's going to matter is Jesus. He says, think about how you're living. Why? Because we want to lead them to Christ. We don't want to cause them to stumble and fall. I'll say it to you like this, and I'm going to have a little bit of fun, because there's a group here that said, please tell this illustration, so here it is. I learned that in an interesting way. When I was in eighth grade, it's going to sound really odd to you, I went to a public school in Birmingham, middle school, and we had the greatest school lunches of all time. I know that sounds weird to you. We had three ladies that thought it was God's will to outcook each other. So what would happen is, the class I was in, we were a bunch of athletes, as soon as the bell would ring, whoo, boy, we took off. Because if you could get first in line, you could like talk the lady into giving you two pieces of chicken or something like that. And we were pumped about it. And there was this one day, because I wasn't the fastest guy, but I had the fastest reaction, and I'm in first place, and I'm running. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Next thing I know, I'm flying like Superman. I'm in midair. And then I figured out in midair, the dude behind me thought it'd be really funny to like sweep my legs out from under me. And I'm flying in midair, and here's what happened. I hit the linoleum slick floor. I slid for about 30 feet. And you know the double doors that are like locked this way? I slammed into those double doors harder than you can ever imagine. Now the, pro the problem is I'm looking at some of you girls and you're like, oh. The problem is that here's what a 13-year-old boy is thinking. I was thinking, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. <laughs> like seriously, I remember thinking in that moment, I have to do this to somebody else at some point in my life. Like you need to know what this feels like. Here is the bigger issue. I never thought about that moment again until like three years ago. So I'm in my driveway with my two daughters. Hold on. Shh. It gets much worse, trust me. I'm standing next to my younger daughter, and Trinity's looking at me, and for whatever reason I hear ding, 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 which means the popsicle man's coming to my neighborhood. And I don't even know why I said it. I looked at my little daughter and I go, last person to get to the popsicle truck is not getting a popsicle. Dude, she gave me that look of, then watch this. She takes off and I do not know why I did what I did. Listen. She starts running and for the first time in all those years, my brain went, Eighth grade, eighth grade, eighth grade, eighth grade. She takes off, and I put my foot out like that right there. Watch this. What I was going for, do you know when you trip somebody and they kind of, what's wrong with you? That's what I was going for, but it is not what happened. Dude, I hit her, it, it was, she went airborne. Now, here's the problem. I'm, now, I need you to watch this. She goes airborne. Here's the bigger issue. In midair, she turned and looked at me, man. Like straight in the eyes. Now, shh, listen. Every girl in the room is going to understand what I'm saying. Girls, do you know how you can have a conversation with your face? Okay, guys, guys, you just got to watch it sometimes. Go sit at a lunchroom table with a bunch of girls. They say four words and they all go, I get it. 
They just look, that, that look, right? Here's the problem. She goes in midair, and she turns, and her look was. And she had a conversation with her face to me. This is what her face said to me, because I heard it, by the way. Her face looked at me and said this. What is wrong with you? Her face said this. You're my father. Her face goes further and says this. You really do need help. And then her face says this. When mom comes home, I'm telling on you. And, I saw it, and then her face says this. And I want you to know, I'm about to land on this concrete. I'm going to skin my knee. It's going to bleed, and I'm going to cry, and I'm going to be mad at you for a really long time. Now, I do know there's like eight people on the math team in here going, how long was she in the air? <laughs> Let's just say 52 seconds for fun, right? So when she looked at me like that, I'd never had that happen to me. I looked back at her. Her look was, my look was, And my face had a conversation back. And this is what my face said back to her. I don't know why I just did that. I'm a grown man and I just did that. And then I started to think and thought, I do need help. Like bad. And then I said this with my face. I feel so bad. I'm going to tell mom before you do. And then I said this, I know you're about to fall on the ground, and I know you're going to be really mad at me, and I know it's going to hurt, but I promise you this, I'm going to get on the ground with you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to make sure you're okay, and I promise I will never, ever do this again. Students, listen to me. The reason I'm saying that to you is this, and follow it. When she took off, and I put my foot out like that, I was just trying to be funny. But here's what's weird. It wasn't funny to her. And here's what Paul says. Be careful how you live. Be careful what you do. Because we don't want them not to hear our message and to stumble and fall because of our action. Conviction leads to connection. We're careful how we live and quickly. Here is the last thing. We have a calling on our lives. When you look at the end of that passage, he gets interesting. He says, do you not know that in a race runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, he could be talking about the Olympic games. They were going on longer than this. He said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will last, but we do what we do that will get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. You know what he's saying? Our calling in life, when Jesus changes us, is to stand up and with everything we have, to live passionately in this world forever. And to give everything we have to Jesus, because I found out in the church a lot of times, we start off with a defeated attitude, and that's exactly opposite what he's saying. He goes, do you not know in a race? Runners run. If you're going to race, then run to get the prize. He said, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I'm just not going to run for fun. We did the 5K today, man. I met the guy that was number four. I don't know who was number one, two, and three, but you're cool too. But here's what's interesting. Every time you do the 5K here, every time I've done the 19 marathons I've done, 
never once have they started the race and said, we're pretty sure that you're the fastest, we're going to go ahead and give you the prize right now. It's never happened. You know what's weird? They actually make us run the race. Now here's the deal. My friend who's going to be here next week, Ed Newton, he and I have done a lot of marathons together. Every time we stand up to race together, we actually know who's going to win. It's one of the 10 Kenyan dudes on the front row. We all know that. But you know what's weird? We run the race because that guy who's the number one in the world might have a bad day and have to drop out. Somebody else might have a bad day. They have to drop out. Somebody else might not have trained well. Somebody else gets dehydrated. And it's weird. If I stay in this race, I might actually win. Here's what Paul says. If you were going to run this race, run it to win. But here's what I hear all the time. But Wade, you don't understand. My friend is never, ever going to come to Jesus. You're starting in defeat. Wade, I'm going to share Christ with my dad, but he's never, ever. What if we flip that around for about one year of the church's life and said this? I'm going to run this race to win. I'm not just doing this for a hobby. This Christian life is exactly that. It is my life. Because the idea of it is, once you are changed, those people choose to live a changed life. And that is my hope. And that is my prayer. Can you just bow with me just for a second as the band makes their way up? And just do this with your heads bowed. Can you just all quietly stand where you are? Just stand right where you are. My prayer and my hope and my passion all day to day has been for those who are right there on the cusp of what God wants them to do. Last night we saw God do some amazing things. And I believe that tonight, we can again if we let him. So as my brother plays, can you just look at me just for a second? Just, just glance at me just for a second. Let me just say this to your face with passion. A lot of times, the reason people don't live the Christian faith is really because they're not a Christian. I remember it was Billy Graham a long time ago in one of his books said that he took the parable of the seeds and he said this, three seeds were doomed from the beginning and one seed grew. His interpretation of that was, the great evangelist that he was said, I believe that that's a picture that three-fourths of the people that actually come to church are probably not Christians. Listen, I don't know what's true in that, what percentage it is or not, but students, can I just say this to you? I believe there's a lot of you that would say, hey, Wade, I know for a fact if I died and I'm going to heaven, and that is super awesome, but just like last night, there's a lot of you that all you know is when an invitation is given, something's missing. That's all you know. And I said to you last night, there's a difference between a spiritual moment and salvation, and some of you responded. When you see 120 people give their life to Jesus Christ, that is a super great celebration, but here's my heart tonight. Well, what do you need to do? I believe there are some of you in this place that if you really think about it, you've never truly 
given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've prayed a prayer, but you've never given your life to him. And that's what life change and salvation truly is. And that's what I'm calling you to do. Maybe some of you tonight have said, man, I wish I had responded last night. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. In a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing just like we did last night. But you've got the chance tonight to say, I don't want to wait. I'm going to step out as soon as they start to sing. But I'm begging you not to miss this tonight. Don't go another night waiting when you know what he's trying to do in your heart. So if you were in this place tonight and you said, Wade, I know I need to give my life to Christ. I want you to come. You say, Wade, I'm not sure if I die tonight to go to heaven like we were saying last night. Then I'm begging you tonight, come, pray and give your life to Christ. Not just a piece of it. And I promise you, when you give him everything, it makes a difference. Student, you will never passionately live for something you're pretty sure that you have. It won't happen. And tonight may be the night for you. So can you do this? Can you just bow your heads just right where you are? And I'm going to pray for you. And after I pray, as the band starts to sing, you say, wait, I want to make that decision tonight. I want to give my life to Christ. Responding in salvation tonight you run down here and meet us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Could you do what only you can do? And that is to save souls and to draw people to yourself tonight. God, I pray that we'd be shocked at some of these that are responding, but you are the only one who truly knows every heart in this room. Could you draw them to yourself? It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Thanks for listening.